welcome to another episode of Deeper Pod. I'm your host, Brody Stuart Werner. Last week, I found the audio came out quite shrill, so I'm going to try and not pronounce my S's and T's as harshly as I did because I feel bad for your ears. It's so great to be back with you. It's pouring rain here in Halifax, and if you listen closely, you may be able to hear the droplets hitting the cement outside. That is, if you if you can hear them over the sirens. I was going to wait to record this episode, but I think it just gives you a picture of the neighborhood I live in, so that's fun. How are you doing? What's new in your world? I hope life is treating you well these days, unless of course you are a member of the so-called Freedom Convoy in Canada's capital right now that is embarrassing our country on the world stage in their fit of ignorance and lunacy. Where to begin? Well, I think the best place to start is by letting you all know that I have decided to remove my podcast from Spotify. I'm under no illusion that this will affect Spotify's bottom line. It won't. I don't have the listenership. But what it comes down to, for me, is a matter of principle. Joe Rogan represents the worst of toxic masculinity, conspiracy peddling, and anti-intellectualism. He has a massive platform, and he chooses to use it to espouse health misinformation during a global health emergency that has killed millions. Close to 6 million people worldwide are dead because of COVID-19. And I say that just so, you know, I think it's sometimes easy to forget the magnitude of what's going on. But it's serious, and Rogan doesn't take it seriously, nor do many of the people he features. He has routinely espoused transphobia and hatred, and he regularly hands his microphone to rejects who capitalize on fear and fake news. I would name them, but I don't feel as though they need any extra attention. I just wonder how our society has gotten to a place where a bald washout who used to be paid to interview people in tanks of cockroaches has become an authority on anything vital. Joe Rogan is a moron, period. And so I've decided to stand with Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, David Crosby, India Ari, Roxanne Gay, and the many artists, particularly in Canada, who have decided to stand against this type of harmful rhetoric, even though it will impact their incomes. And as many artists know, it's not easy to earn a living, so I commend the many people who have taken a principled stance on this. For me, I do this podcast as a hobby. It's not my primary source of income, so I'm not taking my content off of Spotify is not a big deal, but I'm so happy to not be supporting this gross organization. It feels really good. In other news, CNN Worldwide President Jeff Zucker has resigned for failing to disclose his relationship with Allison Gullist, an executive at CNN. So Allison started out as a publicist and became executive vice president, second in command to Zucker at the network. And Allison Gullis has said that she will not be leaving CNN. And I, along with many others, think she needs to go. Her advancement in the company is directly linked to her relationship with Zucker, according to many who have worked at CNN and its affiliate companies. 
a 20-year affair, advancements in a company because of your relationship with your superior shows that your judgment is skewed. So Allison Gullist, pack your bags, follow your honey Jeff Zucker out the door, and make space for somebody who is qualified and follows professional guidelines and standards, because you certainly don't. And I must say, the way Jeff Zucker treated Kathy Griffin was incredibly misogynistic. He is not a good person, and his ouster is a good thing for cable news consumers and all of the individuals who work at the network. And I'm really hoping Zucker's resignation means that Andy Cohen will no longer be hosting CNN's annual New Year's Eve broadcast. I can't stand him. Team Kathy Griffin forever. She is our gay icon, queen, goddess, extraordinaire, and she deserves all of the opportunities. I hope she's back making us laugh on New Year's very soon. Love her and her partner, Randy Bick. They are both super fucking cool. So in terms of queer news, one story that caught my eye is that Sean Penn made headlines recently by declaring that he believes men have become wildly feminized in America. He says that cowardly genes lead people to surrendering their genes and putting on a skirt. I don't even know why I'm addressing Sean Penn because quite frankly, I don't remember a recent film he's been in 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 my memory. I can't even name a film he's been in. I know that he was married to Madonna, and that's about it. I will say that his comments play into the wildly queerphobic narrative, a popular narrative about gender roles that has been circulating for longer than I've been alive. If Sean Penn is trying to steal the title of biggest scumbag from Joe Rogan, he's doing a great job. Not only is his comment queerphobic, it's also super misogynistic. His comment implies that femininity is something that men should not embrace, and I think that leads to a lot of problems like gender-based violence, for which Sean Penn has been accused on numerous occasions. Sean, I think you are the threat to masculinity, pal. You're toxic, irrelevant, and a terrible actor. Peace. Now for my interview with Sabrina Diaz. She was a contestant on the most recent season of NBC's The Voice. She is openly gay. She is a powerful vocalist and an all-around delightful human who I was privileged to speak with last week. I hope you enjoy our conversation. <laughs> Brazil? No, no, I was born here in the United States. And so how, when did your family move to the United States? How long before you were born? So my, my mom came when she was 18. She had me when I, when she was 24. My dad also, he came before. So they met each other here in the United States. And that's when they got married. And then I was the, I was the first kid to, to come out. <laughs> but, but they came from Brazil. So like, even till this day, my dad, he doesn't speak too much English and he's been here for like 30 years, but he lives in a place where everybody's Brazilian, so he doesn't really need to speak much English, you get me? So you learned Portuguese right away then, as soon as you were you grew up speaking and hearing it? Yeah, I had to do ESL, because I didn't speak any English. So I read that your first foray into music was around eight years old, when you began taking drum lessons. Do you remember what started your interest in drumming? Yes. 
I was always part of, my parents are pastors, right, of a church. Um, so it was constantly in church, and my mom always sang in the worship. She was the worship leader. And I was constantly, like, if she had practice, I would go with her little kid, go to practice, watch them sing, watch them play. And I remember by the time I was around eight, my friend Brunelli, she started taking drum lessons, and I didn't know. And one Sunday morning, she went and she played drums, and I was like, oh, shoot, Brunelli plays drums? Like, I didn't know girls could play drums. Uh, to me, it was like, only boys play drums. I've only seen boys. And after I saw her, I was like I'm gonna ask my mom to put me in drum lessons because I like the instrument I don't know if you've read much but that's when she said no you're gonna do piano first because you know I'm trying to not allow you to be gay <laughs> she saw the symptoms early on I guess <laughs> but yeah that's that's what inspired me my friend Brunelli watching her play but you know what? It's so wild how, speaking of that, it's so wild how we sort of ascribe these characteristics to certain instruments. I remember, I'm not very musical, but I do remember I was in band in elementary school. It was the introduction. So they had five instruments where you could go play. And I remember I really wanted to play the flute. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, no, if I play the flute, boys can't do that and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's wild how that happens. But I'm glad so, but you did go into drumming and and clearly were good at it yes i did uh i did a lot of practicing so i'm i'm proud about that um but it was it's really till this day it's my favorite instrument if i had to pick one to just have fun i would play drums nice uh, are your parents musical yes so my dad he used to play guitar he was a guitar player but then he had a, a tragic accident he burnt 90 percent of his body like third degree our house he was I don't know. He was doing the, like the floor shining with the fire thing. I don't know what it's called. And it blew up in the room where he was in. So he lost two fingers. He burnt. And then the doctor said, if we don't cut them, you're going to lose your hand motion. So they cut the two fingers, which he would play guitar. So he had to stop. But yeah, he plays. Yeah, it sucks. But he played guitar. My mom sings. My brother plays all string instruments. My cousin sings. So it's a, it's a musical family. How is your dad doing now? I, did he recover from from that yeah he he it was at the time it was he almost died it was he had a his heart stopped like 46 times it was constantly like the doctors told my mom he's not gonna make it called the family in brazil to say goodbye and my my parents they're christian so my mom was like i believe god can do a miracle and after a while he was three months in coma now he's he's good he's perfect he just he has burnt arms like you can tell he's burnt but he's perfect he's great he even looks younger because of all the fire the it's like a plastic surgery <laughs> <laughs> but he's very healthy. How long ago did this happen? Oh, I was, I think I was nine or 10. So it was a long time ago. So, so your parents, you said are Christian. So did they come to the United States specifically doing this sort of church work? No. So it's a, it's kind of crazy. My dad, when I was, before I was born, he was a drug addict and an alcoholic. So he went through drugs. My mom, she came um, and she was like, she didn't get into much of the drug thing, but she did a little bit. But then she said, no, I'm going to go to church. And that's when she was free. Right. And then my dad, she was like, you're not, we can't keep doing this. Like, you're not going to be living this. Like he wasn't taking heroin. It was really bad. And when I was born, she had to nearly say, get out because I'm not letting my kid go through this. And then once I reached, I think it was the age of one or three, that's when he stopped and he took it seriously. He met, he came to church and he converted. And today they're actually pastors of like the biggest church where we live. It's the biggest Brazilian church in this area. So it's a big testimony, you know? Um, so they came from nothing really. They, my mom had to work thousands of jobs. She was an immigrant. He was an immigrant. Um, luckily today they have papers. So yeah, things got better. Other than your parents, uh, your mother specifically, were there any other adults who were encouraging you when it comes to music? Any teachers who helped you sort of 
develop your craft? I think in elementary school, I did not like my music teacher because it was the boringest class ever. <laughs> so I think that's why maybe in elementary, I wasn't too much into the music because there was really nothing to do in music. But by the time I got to high school, in high school, I had my principal. She used to call me Sheila E. Right? She, she was my favorite principal. And she used to be, come here, Sheila. You know who Sheila E is? Do you know who that is? Not familiar. So she was, she's one of my biggest inspirations. She used to call me Sheila. Sheila is a really famous, like she plays for like Mark Anthony, Salsa, like she plays the timbales, drum set. And she would always say, you're going to be better than Sheila one day. You're going to see, like, you're going to, you're going to pass her level. You better research her and see what she does. She's a drummer. And I used to be like, who's, who's Sheila E, Miss Jackson? Like, who is this person? Until I actually met her in high school. Oh, no way. Yeah, I didn't know it was her too because I didn't research her. We were playing in the jazz band. We were playing in New York and it was the inauguration of International Jazz Day. So like Herbie Hancock was there, Stevie Wonder, all these guys. And then this lady comes up to me and she didn't look like a musician. She had like the cool hairdo and everything. And then she was like, hey, I want to take a picture with you. And I was like, I can't stop right now. I'm, I'm playing a song. Can you give me a moment? And she was like, I want to take a picture with you. And I see my principal like, you better get your ass up. That is Sheila E. talking to you right now. And that's how I met her. She was, Miss Jackson was really my biggest inspiration. And Mr. Mister Liggins, he was the band teacher. He always pushed me. That's such a crazy full circle kind of moment to be called Sheila E. and actually end up. Did you tell her the story that you were? At the time, I didn't tell her because it was like in the middle of a reception. We were still playing. So I was like, hopefully I get to talk to her later on. But then I didn't get to see after that. Who are some of your other musical inspirations? Musical inspirations, Taylor Swift, uh, Ed Sheeran, John Mayer. There's a lot. John Legend. I'm into Brazilian music as well, like Bossa Nova and all that stuff. So like Don Jobim, the pioneers like Ella Fitzgerald. I know she's old school jazz, but we always go back to the beginning. Right, to be real musicians. So I would I would name those. Changing gears a little bit, you are a proud member of the LGBTQ plus community and you're currently engaged, I believe, to your fiance. Yes. What was your coming out process like and did you initially receive support from your friends and family? So I came out when I was twenty two. Now, remember, my parents had this church for many years, right? So I grew up in church. I became the church um, worship leader, right? I used to be the band director, music director, teach drums, teach basically everything. And I was the youth leader at church. It was always kind of like, pray the gay away, make it make it go out. Because I was against it, because that's what I was taught. I was like, this is bad. This is just right. a, a human thing that I feel. And it's going to go away when I find the man of my dreams. But I was always attracted to girls. Although I never dated girls before, because I... I thought I would be going to help. So I grew up in church. And by the age of 22, I was like, I got to say it. I'm going to have to tell my parents because I'm definitely gay. This isn't going away. It's not going to change. I remember the last day I knew that when I said that I would no longer be allowed to sing or play. So it was almost like a heartbreak because that was my whole world at the time. That's all I knew. And I was never exposed to the, the other side of the world. My parents were very like, this is God. The world is a terrible place. You need to stay in the bubble. So I played and I, that day I cried a lot because I knew like, this is the last time I'm going to play. This is the last time I'm going to play with these people that I grew with because I taught all of them. And I got home and I was like, mom and dad, I need to talk to you. And they come up and I don't know if you had to do this, but I think that is the worst feeling in the world when you're, you know, like I'm about to break their hearts. Right. And I called them up and I said, listen, I'm, I'm gay, and um, this is what it is. And my my dad couldn't understand. He was like, can you repeat that? I don't understand what you're saying. So I had to say it three times. My mom had to tell him in Portuguese, like, she's saying that she's a gay woman. She's a lesbian. It was the most awkward thing. 
And he was like, I never suspected it. I didn't think you were, but I love you. And my mom said, I didn't, she's like, when you were younger, I had my doubts. Like when I was telling you about the drums and all that. And she was like, but after you started wearing heels and looking girly and you had like a, a boy crush here and there, I thought that was over. I thought you were straight. And I said, well, no, I'm gay and, and that's it. And she was like, okay. They were both like, we, how about we do some therapy so we can help you? So it was almost like, we love you. We embrace you. We hug you. But let's uh, fix it, right? We're here for you. We are your family. We're going to, this is going to go away. And I said, no, I'm not doing conversion. I'm not going to go to a therapist. I'm already going to a therapist. That's why I came out to you. And this is who I am. So I need you to accept me. And they said, we love you, but we don't accept the gay. No girlfriend is welcome in this house. Like, that's not going to happen. And I said, all right, let's, uh, let's just see what's going to happen. Maybe they'll kind of like, I told them, like, you should look for a therapist so you can talk about it. Um, maybe it'll be helpful as parents. And it just went down from there. Like, they tried, like, to be really good about it. And I was living with them at the time because I was, I was in college. And I remember I came out in May. May 4th, I came out. And by November, I said, I'm going to move out. This is not working out. It's going to ruin our relationship. Because it was constantly like a fight of my dad trying to tell me what ha what has to be done. It started to get disrespectful. And I, I you can't do it. Right? You can't live together if they if they don't fully embrace you for real. It's a full thing. It's You can't can't love half of me. Um, So I left home when I was still 22 november and after that we we're still not good in the church growing up was uh sexual orientation or homosexuality ever discussed was it because i know different churches have different sort of orthodoxies i guess you would call it so were there any teachings um about being gay there weren't any like let's say like a sunday bible school about that right but i remember once and i was a youth leader at this time this is what i'm telling you like i knew what i felt but I was fighting so much against it. And I was like, no, this is not me. Um, that I was like, I got to save the other people who feel this. Because I know what that feels like. And we would have like, a, we had one month of basically why gay is wrong. Right? So it was like a study, a month study on that for the teenagers. And I remember once we they announced it, they call a bunch of kids brought their gay friends to church. Right? And I remember this one girl, she brought her brother. He was... He was very gay. You could just see it by him walking in. I remember he was like super uncomfortable and it was just like, this, this can't be right. You know, this cannot be right. They had like the boys talking in one room, the girls talking in another room and another girl outspoken kids, right? Saying like, well, I'm gay. I don't think it's wrong. I feel this since I was little. So explain that. Why do I still feel this? And there's never an answer. There, there is no answer. Why do you feel this? I don't know. Right. This is just how we are. It's how we're born. So that was really the only thing they really say. But it's constantly like gay is wrong. God created a man and a woman and Adam and an Eve, not a Steve. Right. It's ridiculous the way they put it. So, yeah. I don't want to talk badly necessarily about religion because Ronnie and I, who you just met, we got married at a church and he's from uh, Brazil. And he told me in Brazil, he wouldn't have been able to get married in a, a church there. So he was surprised that we were able to do it here. And, and I'm not a religious person, but we did go to a, a Baptist church here and the pastor himself was gay and he, a great church environment. So all that to say, there are some affirming churches and whatnot, but I'm from a small town in Canada where it's sort of dominated by religion. And I definitely didn't find that the space was the most tolerant 
Not at all. For me. So that's one of the reasons I've kind of always shied away. Like I said, until I met this one gay pastor (laughs) who invited Ronnie and I to go to his church, which who knows, maybe we will in the future, but I've always kind of shied away from religion for that reason, because, you know, I don't get it. It's, it's not worth the um, destroying relationships with family or friends for the sake of your your beliefs. And and that's what I'm saying. It, It came to a point where I feel like after you leave that world, which is what I had to do, I forcefully was, I had to leave, right? After you leave that world, then you come into our world, right? And the people and all these different kinds of people, you're almost like, I can't believe how, how blind we are inside the church, how, like how much brainwash. And it's, it's very messed up, especially being like a teen leader, seeing all that and all these teenagers hearing this thing all the time, all the time. And that's why people kill themselves. That's why they suicide um, because it's too much. It's too much. Have you found now, as now that you've come out and you're engaged and, and everything, have you found a supportive community of, of people who, who do embrace you for who you are? I have. I've, I feel like you make your own family. So I've made my, my friendship circle of people who love us and appreciate us. And I, I chose to say no to anyone who's not 100% involved and loving us for 100%. Because I tried with my family, the half and half. Okay, come over, but don't talk about your relationship. All right, um, we can be a family here, but we're not going to talk about those things because we don't agree. I don't know how it was with you, but I chose to just surround myself with people who fully love us. Yeah, for sure. An uncle and aunt, I remember vividly a couple years ago, and they were taught their daughter was married to a man for a while. She left him and was seeing a woman and in the house, she wasn't visiting. It was a holiday, but I was there and her parents were talking about how God didn't intend for uh, their daughter to be with a woman or for, for gays to exist, essentially saying something like that. And after that moment, the next day, I just haven't seen them since. And I definitely won't. It's like, you know, it's not worth sacri- for me, it's not worth sacrificing my mental health to sort of please people. And I know it's it can be very difficult with family. Um, but you know, the thing is that if it didn't affect us, okay, maybe we could but the problem is like, I would leave feeling like the worst, the worst, like every time I would have these conversations or like the phone conversations convincing why isn't it wrong. And then it's almost like it's not worth it because they don't want to listen. It's not like they're going to listen to you and change. Um, so that's what for me, I, I had to do that. I had to say no, I don't need that. And when you're ready, that's what I told my parents. When you're ready to, I love you guys and I want you to be in my life. But when you're ready to accept me 100% and to be with me and my family, because now I have a fiance and our little girl, right? So now it's a family. It's not just me. It's not just your daughter anymore. When you're ready for the whole package, then I hope soon we can, you know, be a family. So were you talking to them when you were on the the voice? Oh, so they would have, did they find out like everybody else did when you were on TV? Yeah, my cousin, um, I have a cousin in the family who, who talks to me and my other cousin as well, but this one's closer. So she would tell me like, hey, everybody's here right now. Everybody's watching you. But I wasn't talking to my family. But she was like, your dad is so excited. Like, obviously, they're probably super happy, but like they... Not not one phone call. My philosophy, I guess, is if you want to be around for the good, you're going to have to be around maybe for the, the things that you don't necessarily like so much. But I will ask you one last question on this topic. What advice would you give to a young person who may be struggling internally with their sexual orientation and maybe some of those same issues, whether it be family dynamics or 
you know, religion or kids at school who aren't necessarily so nice? Um, I would say no matter what you do, always be authentic. Always be yourself because don't try to please anybody. Don't try to be anybody else because there's only one of you. And every time you try to be someone else, you're losing your, your specialness. And that's what I, that's what I tell my students. Um, I'm a teacher as well. So I tell them every day, be authentic, be you. And if you're having problems with your sexual orientation, you don't need to have it all figured out. You can explore. You have time. You're young. And you don't need to say, I'm gay right now. You can say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know. And it's better, sometimes it's better to say, I don't know, until the future when you say, okay, this is who I am, because it takes time. So that's the, the advice I would give. And with parents, always be respectful, always respect people's opinions, but never allow people to be abusing you. And if that's the case, then you seek help, seek a therapist, try to talk to somebody or find a group of LGBT at your school, LGBT community, so you can be open about it and find a safe place for that part of you to flourish. Oh my God. Gosh, I'm talking to you. It's just making me wish. Why didn't I have a teacher like Sabrina in my school? The kids must honestly love you. Seriously. They're good kids. They. I work in Newark. I don't know if you know that part of Jersey, but the, there's a lot of, um, now I see more, a lot of gay kids come out. And like the other day I said, all right, we're going to tell our pronouns. And a lot of, some kids still are like, what do you mean our pronouns? I'm a boy. She's a girl. You know, and I'm like, no, everybody has an identification and we need to respect it and sometimes you know kids they always say that's so gay this is gay we don't want to do this um and i try to educate them in a way where i'm not like attacking them every time they say something like that because then they're gonna do it because now they know it's getting to you but i say dude don't say that that's messed up what if it was your little sister come on and then they stop no i love that and i think you and i are close in age i don't think i'm very old but i do know that when I was in junior high and high school, like there just weren't the resources and visibility in terms of maybe media, there there, may, there was that visibility, but within the schools, there just wasn't. And here in Nova Scotia now, you see the, the pride flag flying at tons of even rural kind of schools and the uh, trans flag and all of these other things. So I do, I'm hopeful. Teachers like you and some of my friends who are teaching, they give me hope that things are, are getting better i think they are yeah and and the more kids come that are like that the easier it gets because they all become friends at the end of the day you got to deal with him you got to deal with the trans kid because he's in your class and you guys are friends you know um so yeah that's what i try to build that switching gears again the voice my husband and i loved you and we were rooting for you what made you decide to sing a portuguese song during the blind auditions right out of the gate so i went to the voice thinking i was gonna sing half english half portuguese Right. Got to the rehearsal and they were like, all right, let's do it. Let's do um, just English first, because we couldn't basically like it wasn't going to work out English and Portuguese. We had to pick one language for pr production reasons. And I said, OK, let's do English. So I sang in English. They were like, that's great. Let's sing it in Portuguese now. Sing it in Portuguese. And they were like, what do you want to do? Pick one. They both sound good. And I said, I want to do Portuguese. Let's do the Portuguese version. And I was scared. Though. I said, I'm just scared. I was talking to the producers. Like, I'm just scared that it's in Portuguese and they're not going to turn because they're not going to know what I'm saying, although it's a world-known song. And the producer was talking to me. He was like, no one has ever sang in Portuguese on this show. And you sound beautiful in Portuguese. He was like, do it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. So I took the risk. I said, I want to represent my country. I want to, no one has ever done it. So I'll be the girl, right? I'll, let's make history. And I did it. And it was a success. It was exciting to see all of Brazil go nuts 
seeing that. It was amazing. What do you remember how you felt when you noticed that John Legend turned his chair around for you? <laughs> yeah, I remember, first of all, I was shaking. I've never shook so badly to walk up on a stage. And I've been in front of a lot of people. But when I walked up, I was shaking. I was like, keep it together. You better not fall. Like, keep it together. And I started singing. And it wasn't too long until he turned. But I remember when he turned, I was like, I'm not going to look at him right now. Because if I look at him, I'm going to get too emotional like exciting. So I just looked at the crowd and after I calmed down, because I was so excited, I looked at him and I sang to him till the end of it. But it was a, a mind-blowing experience. Like, damn. And he was the guy I wanted. Like, he was he was my choice. Was like, only he turned, but he's my guy. That's it. That's, yeah, that's crazy. I, um, what was it, and what was it like being coached by him on the show? Amazing. I, I, the big thing I keep saying is I was amazed by his humbleness. Sometimes we think that people who are super famous and artists and rich, we think they'll be snobby, right? Or maybe sometimes like, I'm too good, do this and that's it. Don't look at my face, you know? But he was such a kind person, super like, even the way he put his words together, like, I think if you do this, it's better. It was never like, you have to do this. You know, it was always like, here's my suggestion. So his humbleness really touched me. And just his his geniusness is just, we see it in his music, but just seeing him in person. And sometimes he'll just say, sing it like this, right? Like he'll sing the part and you're like, damn, this guy is so good. So it was really a dream. I've always dreamed to meet him. So it was amazing. Are you working on any music currently? <laughs> yes. So I'm actually going to release all of the three songs that I sang on The Voice on Spotify and all digital platforms. I'm going to be releasing that. And then after those come through, I'm going to release my original song that I'm working on with the producer. So it's coming out and more. I got like five songs coming up. So it's going to be great. And where can listeners find you? You can find me on Instagram on facebook i'm gonna be on spotify itunes everything soundcloud everything all, all all platforms and twitter i'm on twitter sabrina diaz thank you so much for stopping by it's been truly has been it's so great to meet you i remember when we were sitting on the sofa out there uh ronnie said uh, from the other room oh my god she's singing portuguese and ran <laughs> and ran out to the living room and from that moment on we were two of your biggest fans throughout the show brody it was such a pleasure meeting you and your husband tell him i said hello and goodbye um and i, and I hope to see maybe you guys in person someday <laughs> Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sabrina Diaz. She is incredibly talented and I encourage you to follow her everywhere she's at because she is going places. She's a superstar and just a remarkable person. I'm Brody Stewart-Werner and until next time, be well. Mm-hmm.